Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. So, Andre, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Thank you for having me here today. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Andre. Who are you? What do you do? And who do you work for? So I will start with most recent position and then go back into history. So currently I am CTO and co-founder in a company called Sandbird. And Sandbird is a subscription service for perfumes and colognes. I eventually will become the fragrance destination for all the fragrance lovers. Uh, before Sandbird, I spent several years as an agile coach. And before that, I was working as a Java developer for big enterprise companies. And I would say that effectively changed my view of the world. Wow. Yeah, excellent. And it's great to meet a fellow coach because I've pretty much followed a very similar path yourself where I guess you're very passionate about bringing the agile values and principles into organizations and creating these kind of high performing teams. And also from uh, our conversations offline, I noticed that you're very customer centric, you know, creating teams that actually deliver value for that customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say I was lucky enough to meet a lot of people who taught me since my early days um, as, a, as a Java developer, because like when you start your career, you mostly think about algorithms, you think about beautiful code. But I met a lot of people who told me more than once that like whenever you're coding, you should think about what value you're actually bringing into the world and maybe the most value you'll bring by not doing any code at all. <laughs> yes, I love it. Coming back to the company that you're working for, I just want to cover what problem is it solving in the market? Because I was really intrigued when I heard about this business and what your company does. Yes, um, it's actually very interesting how it's all started. Uh, if we go back in times, so like go back to the initiation of the company, which was 2013, the fragrance market was very determined. You either go into the retail store if you want to try something new because it's a, the perfume. You need to try it first. You need to sniff it. Or you go online when you know what you like and you're looking for a better deal, mm. either one or another. The idea that we wanted to work on was how to make it easier to buy new perfume online, because in many cases, you don't have a Sephora right around the corner. You don't have another big retail store around the corner. Mm. And um, we decided let's combine the best of the world, let's combine the recommendation agent that was already a big thing at the time, and combine... Uh, a different business model. We originally started with Try Before You Buy. We were inspired by the company called Warby Parker. And after a year, we pivoted into the current business model, which is a subscription. So every month, our customers get a small amount of perfume they really want to try. So it's not a random sample. It's exactly one-on-one what they want to smell. Wow, fantastic. You kind of mentioned there, Warby Parker. We've had uh, the CTO of Warby Parker on as well. So that's quite interesting to hear. And, and you mentioned that, you know, what they were doing. What was it that they were doing then that you thought, let's follow that? Was it the subscription service? It was not a subscription service at the time. Uh, what they did was quite impressive and quite unique. They were sending you up to five uh, glass frames so you can try them at home, wear them for a week. 
and uh, keep what you like, return the rest, and only pay for what you keep. That was very interesting for me because, again, I was coming from traditional background, coming from another country, and for me, the only way to buy, you go in the store, you pay up front, you try, and if you don't like it, probably you will be able to return it. Maybe if you're not that lucky, you will have to stick with the item. So what Warby Parker did, they significantly changed the glass market. Mm, yeah, that's why a disruptor. And we're talking about selling sense or subscribing to sense. So being a tech leader, what do you do in that space? What does a tech leader do there? What do your teams do? Yeah, I, I get I get this question a lot, <laughs> especially people who know my background because I'm originally graduated from aerospace university. They asked me how the guy who was studying rocket science now sells perfume online. And it's actually a very good question because I see more and more companies realize that IT is not just about having a Microsoft Word or having some Excel sheet. It's about giving your departments an unfair advantage comparing to other companies companies by providing them the right technology tool. And this is how I see my job. Mm -hmm. What I do, I give all the departments in our organization, operations, finance, merchandise, the right tool to use. It could be either some off-the-shelf product, but the best in class, or it could be something that we develop internally. And this is what I do since day one. Uh, originally, I was developing these tools. Now I manage an amazing team of engineers who do this every day. Fantastic. I love it. I can hear it in you. You really want to deliver what's needed for the business. And this is a great thing about technology, not technology for technology's sake, but for delivering actual value and making things smoother, maybe taking like the, uh, the manualness out of some of the things that we can do kind of automatically. So that's fantastic. So what I want to do now is shine a light on your leadership, Andre. Okay. I want to put a spotlight on you. What's the thing that makes you jump out of bed in the morning? What's your passion, your burning fire inside? Oof. Um, <laughs> I would say... You know, like there are two options to two ways how I can jump early in the morning uh, with my heart burning. It's either uh, a call from our alerting system that the website is down. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> likely, it's not it's not happened this uh, uh, now that that often as in early days. But I would say since you are a pretty distributed team now, we have team members uh, in I would say about eight or nine different time zones, multiple countries, I would say the reason to wake up early in the morning is to A, make sure that everyone is all right because we live, uh, let's call it in challenging times, difficult times. Mm. And then is I really enjoy my work, my collaboration with people. And I would say for me, um, work is about being with great people around. I love that. And our audience has probably listened to this thinking, yeah, we want that too. You know, So I'm really curious for them as to how you bring that about. What's the magic trick? What's the magic dust that you sprinkle into your teams and into your workplace to create that? Yes. And I would say this is something that people who work in startup hear very often. Because as a founder, your number one job is to hire great people. Because yes, originally that might be two of you, three of you who do all the job, but eventually you hire more and more people. And at some point, the impact of your work is not that significant. Let's say you are a team of 500 people. So just compare how much work you can do and the rest of, of the organization. So I would say the number one job as a startup founder and every leader, uh, so to say, is to spend enough time on hiring the right team member. 
And it means like you do your preparation, you do your conversation, right? And you feel to your internal voice because sometimes you can check all the boxes, but something tells you that something is yeah. not right. So you make decision to pass on the candidate and you end up in a right position after all. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love what you speak to, intuition. Something that has been ironed and washed out of many of us. I think that intuition is another form of information that we need to kind of tap into. You kind of also speak to hiring the right people. It reminds me of the book, No Rules Rule, which is uh, Netflix's book. Have you read that at all? I love this book. One of my favorite in terms of uh, people management and people relationships. Yes, that's right. And, th and in that, they talk about talent density, you know, making sure, really making sure that people that you are folding in to the family of the organization are the right fit for the organization. And an interesting point that you make there around making sure that these right people are not ticking all the boxes. What are the boxes that you think you're ticking and hiring the right people that aren't generally spoken about? Because I think sometimes we talk about, you know, technical skills, got them, et cetera, et cetera. What are the things that sometimes do you feel people miss a lot? That's a good question because it's really hard to answer. And it honestly depends on the organization because um, we see a lot of different organizations right now. We see companies who consider the same a family. We see companies who are quite uh, challenging internally. Uh, like um, a lot of fintech organizations are like that. So I would say for each organization, it will be a different list. What's important for me is the next one. I would say another lesson that I learned early in my career was if there is nothing to talk to a person outside of the world, you won't be internally engaged to spend more time with this person mm. because like your relationship will stop once the code review is done and that's it. So you have no reason to talk to this person more, to learn more about this person as a human being. And I would say this is an important factor to be with a very, um, on one hand, a high performing team, on the other hand, a supportive team, mm. because like you can only support person when you know what motivates this person, when you know what can upset this person, because uh, like, for example, someone is like, as a team leader, you can say, hey, this person just underperforms and this is it. Or during your one-on-one, -on -one, you can ask, how are you doing? Like, is everything all right? Or maybe like, I saw, like, I haven't heard your jokes recently. Is everything all right? And you might learn that something is wrong, like the kid is sick or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, getting back to the original question, like, I always check after the interview did we talk anything beside the original list of questions that i had did we had any conversation about interesting technology or did we spoke about did we speak about any hobbies so i was recently interviewing a front engineer and i saw a stack of uh, board games uh behind him and like we had a nice conversation about who plays what and <laughs> indeed it, it's really it's a nice person to walk to to talk to and this is how i built my team brilliant i love it i think you're absolutely right because the audience can't see right now but i can see your bookshelf behind you uh, with various ornaments and i'm really curious about them and i think Things like that are really telling of what person's character, you know, what gets them going, what their interests are, you know, and that kind of colours the relationship. I think that's really important. And uh, and just out of curiosity, what board game did you see on this table that you would play yourself? Was there one that you loved? 
Um, actually, like the game that he had was Yektan Pact, and I honestly haven't heard about it uh, before. Right. But I would say, speaking of board games in general, I recently supported the Heroes 3 Might and Magic board game on the uh, Kickstarter. Can't wait to get my hands on it. Oh, right. Okay. That's something I'll have to check out then. So that's interesting. I love board games. It brings people together. So coming on to your leadership again. What's the thing that keeps you up at night? What's the thing as a tech leader that really plays on you? I think I will be a boring person here because there is nothing new that I will say, but the burnout. Because this is something that we keep talking every year, but in the recent year, because of the remote work, this topic is more important, is more, is coming up more often than before. Because A, it's harder to spot the burnout when you are remote because like people are on and off uh, in Zoom. Sometimes the camera is off. You don't see their facial expression. You don't see their eyes. Um, and let's be honest, with remote work, we work more than before because it's not the traditional nine hours a day. Mm. And um, people just worn out. Like they work a lot. They don't like, they, yes, they don't commute, but... For me personally, commute was an always, was always an opportunity to unwind, to listen to the podcast, to listen to some music. So I kind of lost that, and I immediately shift from work person to dead person once <laughs> I step out of my room. Right. So I would say um, the burn the, the burnout is there, and we need more and more people admit that this is the real thing uh, that we need to treat it, and that's the job of the leader. To make sure that you know how to spot it, that you know how to treat it, that you know how to talk to people about it. Mm. So that that I would say the number one thing that keeps me up at night as a technology leader. Again, it's it's around the people. It's not the technology. Uh, it's not some kind of framework or, or I know the server or the budget. And I hope my CFO won't hear that. Mm. <laughs> uh, but like on the other hand, from technology side, I would say security because like just. Earlier today, I read news about Okta uh, reporting that their GitHub repository was hacked and now someone has uh, their original source code. So what it will result in, we don't know yet, but I guess it's not the end. I want to touch on your coaching aspect. You mentioned that you're very customer-centric. You want to make sure that teams are delivering what the customer wants. It's not about outputs, software. It's about outcomes for the customer. And being in this remote world, it must be quite challenging to get communication to work effectively. It's a lot of conversations in terms of messaging, but are we really communicating? Any tips on making that better or getting more collaboration in the space? Uh, you, you got me here because like it's <laughs> hard to formalize. And honestly, I'm I'm not sure that I'm doing uh, the best job here. I'm just trying just trying to do what's right, at least what feels right. So a couple of things that um, comes to mind. The first one is, I would say, use your communication skills uh, both ways. Like when you communicate down to your team and when you communicate up to your supervisor or to your CEO, whoever you report into, because it's important to ask questions both way because like we have like our boss at the end of the day is also a, hum a human person. Like he or she might have their own difficulties, their own issues, their own problems. So it's important to keep this, um, to be a helpful person in both ways. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that's number one. Second, don't, 
don't forget about smoke, smoke talk. Yes, in different cultures, we have different opinion about, about smoke talks. Like some cultures are more straightforward, some cultures are more uh, chit-chatty. Uh, but I would say now in the remote setup, smoke talk has even bigger meaning because this it allows us to be less informal it allows us to actually ask personal questions that allows us to have a conversation right. because previously because previously small talk was just uh like an appetizer before a main meeting because like again during the meeting we saw another person right now during these smoke talks you can start like even without the camera setup or anything like that like hearing all these answers for your small talk questions, like uh, you can you can try to understand the mental state of the person, like this person in a good mood or in a bad mood. Uh, is everything all right? Like uh, you can actually start with a joke. So like you can also think of um, this small talk as an icebreaker before you, you start a conversation. And I always like to do it. Even if we have a leadership meeting, we're discussing budget, we're discussing big strategic things. I like to say a joke or two and everyone is in slightly better <laughs> state slightly better mood and uh i believe it changed the conversation so i would say um this is an important thing to have a smoke talk mm. and the third one is if the if you're having a really good one-on-one -on -one with a person and you are running out of time don't stop it mm. like you, it, you have like you should finish it when you feel it's finished not just because you are late for another meeting uh, you shouldn't stop your conversation with another another person because if you're running out of time, it means that there is something to discuss, something important, most likely for another person, and you have to you have to finish it because in this way, in your companion will feel appreciated. So these are my three tips. I love it. You know, they're all good. The last one you kind of mentioned here, this kind of idea that we have these hard boundaries where we have to finish by, and they're quite unnatural. You know, I always like to kind of look at nature and nature. I mean, it has time-bound things, but they're not as rigid. You mentioned also offline, Andre, that you've worked for corporations and then moved into the startup space. So I'm very curious mm -hmm. as to the, the difference you found there. What worked really well in the corporate space and what works in startup? What were the nuances? Yeah, that's that's a good one because I would say like, I was lucky in many different ways. I worked with great people. I worked in great organizations. Even like when I worked for big organizations, I saw a good thing, like what big organization can do. Um, can do well. Mm. And I would say these are ability, what's called anti-fragility. Uh, anti anti-fragility. Uh, don't, don't remember how to pronounce it correctly. It, in, if the big organization is built in the right way, it has a lot of good protocols and policies that allows it to properly react to um, external disturbance, like all the crises, all the problems, issues, there is always a protocol how to react to that and how to not uh, completely ruin everyone's work. So I would say that one that I learned from big organization, how to prepare for yourself for what, what can come. Mm. And the good example of that is how to work with risks. Because I would say, um, when you move to the startup world, startup world uh, tend to forget that uh, at some point you like, risk is not all about your work uh, because like in the early days of startup, uh, you have to 
survive. You have to prove everyone around that your business model work, that you can grow and earn money. But eventually you become larger and you, you have to think ahead. You have to prepare yourself for what, what can come. And the all like the initial startup mentality doesn't work anymore. So you have to think like a big organization. What are the risks that I might have? What will be the consequences for that? How I should prepare? What for I should prepare? Mm. And things like that. So that, that's what I learned from big organization. But unfortunately, as we all know, uh, big organization can take, can spend a lot of time on making a decision. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciate in small work because uh, at some point I was working for big investment bank, seven like big bank, 70,000 people all around the world. And I was working through the outsourced companies. So you can imagine like how fast all the decisions were made. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to the small agile consultant company and there were eight of us. So whenever you have a question, you ask uh, a guy that is close to you and then decision is made in five minutes. You want to work on something new? Sure. If you, if you can provide the result, why not? Mm. So that completely changed my mind because again, I was early in my career and before big organization, I haven't seen things done differently. And because of this change change of pace, I realized that maybe I should look into the startup world. And because I, I like that environment, I, I like fast pacing environment. So that's how I eventually come to the idea that maybe I should join or start a startup. Yeah, I love it. I love what you kind of mentioned there about best of both worlds. Do you think it's possible to have the best of both worlds in one place? I think you can try to combine it and that's what i see in many organizations and like two i usually see two ways of big organization doing this like they start with enterprise trying to adopt startup way of thinking one way is so-called digital digital transformation and unfortunately we saw a lot of this failing and just being a lot of um black holes for money and time another way of doing this is when big organization actually acts as a venture investor and then it spins out a lot of small startups inside it so like and it say hey we'll allow you to raise funds from us but in order to do the rest you are on your own so you have to act like a small organization you have to act like a startup and i see a lot of successes in the way of doing such things right. and if you look into this from startup perspective what i would say successful startups do in common at some point they hire professionals people who've done things um for i don't know 15 20 25 years in certain areas like operations like finance uh legal or i don't know hardware so when it comes down to stability and growth and skill they have someone in organization who can pass around a the experience and be i would say the proper speed for doing certain things here we go, Andre. We're coming towards the closing arc of our time together. I've got some nice warm questions for you. So first of all, what advice would you give to techies out there that are aspiring to become leaders just like you? Any advice that you'd like to offer there? Any advice? Um, I would say the number one advice will be find a good mentor. Because again, I was initially I was lucky uh, because I had great technical leaders around me, project managers, 
program managers. But then at some point I realized that's not enough. And I started to work with a mentor and that allowed me to learn so much more in a much better way. So I would say, if you want to succeed, you need to find even an informal manner mm. that will be already a great thing. Fantastic. I totally agree with you. Every organization, voluntary and organizational mentors uh, have been a big thing in my space. And, uh, and I've thankfully had some great mentors as well. And any books or films or documentaries that have been instrumental in your tech journey that you'd like to share here? Books or films. Um, the one that you already mentioned, uh, No Rules Rules. Like for me, it was a big game changer. I would say since our organization is multicultural, the culture map, another great example of thing, a book that you should read if you want to understand other people better. And um, in terms of movies, I would say... Maybe not documentaries, but there are a couple of things that I really like about startup world. One is obviously the Silicon Valley, and another one is Halt and Catch Fire. Thank you for sharing those, Andre. And here we go. Um, there's, a, there's a nice, warm, fun question for you, okay? Which is, I'm going to pretend mm -hmm. to be a tech genie for a second. I love being this. I love being the tech genie. I'm going to offer you a wish. What would you wish for, for your industry, for your leadership, for technology, Get rid of blaming culture. Yeah, love it. And Andre, what is it about blame culture that you do not like? I would say it's our human nature that when something bad happens, the easiest response, not the right one, but the easiest response is to start finger pointing and blame someone else. But unfortunately, uh, when your website is down or like you have a data breach, there is no time for that you need to fix it right away and you can only do this when you have a supportive culture so that's one second blame doesn't help you to learn what went wrong and how to fix it in the future so i would say i never blame people if something bad happened what i do is i'm trying to get back in time and find the moment when we made the wrong decision and why this wrong decision was made so that's number two. And number three is in blame culture, people tend to be less riskier. So because of that, they learn less because when you try something, you, you obviously risk, uh, you risk the stability of your application, you risk your reputation because if you fail, some people might think that you might be not a great uh, person, not a great specialist. So blame culture kills all the innovation in the company. And that's why it's important to get rid of it. Yeah, I love it. That's psychological safety. As long as they're not reckless mistakes, it's human to make mistakes. I know I make them all the time. And as the audience won't realize, I made loads of mistakes in this podcast. And it's part and parcel of what happens. So that's great. Thank you for that wish. I'm going to make that wish come true. And if it doesn't work, Andre, I'm going to blame you. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so Andre, as we come to the full stop of the podcast together, what is the key takeaway that you'd like to leave as a gift to the tech audience listening to this? I will try to make, make it short and easy to remember. Um, spend some time uh, to talk to your coworkers about not working things. Don't blame people around you if something goes wrong. And um, always try to work with better people, either if you hire them or if you have an opportunity to learn from them or to teach someone around you. Brilliant. What a great note to finish on, Andre. Thank you for your time. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. Thank you so much for having me here tonight. 
And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.